Hey, good morning. If you're new, I'd also like to welcome you. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and glad that you guys are with us, worshiping with us today. And um, we're in the fifth fifth week of a six-week series we're doing, looking at the first part of the book of Acts. And there's this idea out there, and um, it's one of these ideas that I think that we all wish were true. And if we all, I think like if we all just decided together that we wish it were true, and that, that somehow that we could we could make it true. And the idea is, is that somehow that if you're following God and doing what you're supposed to do, everything's going to work out smooth. And um, that somehow that there's some sort of bargain that you can make with God. It's like, okay, God, if I do this, then you'll do this, and then this, and then everything will be just what it's supposed to be. And that, and that following God and doing the right thing, if you will, is equivalent to basically living a smooth, easy life. I wish it were true, but it's not, and I think our 25 years of, as a family has kind of been a testament to that. This, this is one of these things that I, I um, hand, most of you know, you know, you've been around here for a while, some of you don't, but, uh, you know, we've, you know, we've pastored at different places, worked college ministry, gone to seminary, which is preacher grad school, and done all these different things, and every time we've really felt like, well, this is what God is wanting us to do, we're going to move this thing, and every time... Every time, like, oh, I'll say it this way, we have never, ever moved from one place to another where we sold the house we were living in before we moved, ever. It's, it's, it's never been the case. We always, God wants us to do this, and then, and then the, the house is sold, and, and it always eventually sells, and I say always, and I don't mean always, because the one that we, that we, we moved away from nine years ago, we still own, right? Ha, 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 he makes another joke about it. For your new, it's an inside joke that I hate, and these people are mean to me by laughing at me about it. Um, and you know, we have this idea, and you, and you see it, I see it, maybe I see it more than you do just because my eyes are open to it. You these people, and they're um, on Facebook or whatever, and they've got some new God idea, and it's like, hey, and, and God's, we're moving to this other place, and we know God is with us because our house sold in 48 hours, right? And, and praying hands emoji, right? And, um, and, and, and um, then I, then I, then I uh, destroy the, whatever computer I'm looking at and just go about my business, right? And I mean, it's not just that. I mean, just, I mean, just even moving here nine years ago, not just simply the fact that this saga that we've had. I mean, we had been, been here two weeks. Like, I had been the pastor of the Grove for two whole weeks uh, when, when the woman who was in charge of, of our finances kind of keeping up with, with, with our accounting and whatever... She kind of, I don't know what you would start, kind of very cautiously, timidly, with tons of fear, kind of emerged into my office. She was, she was really scared to talk to me because she wasn't sure if I was mean yet or not, right? And um, I get it. And so, and, and, so, and so I was like, yes? And she says, we just made our mid-August payroll, and if we don't have two really give, good giving Sundays the next two weeks, we're not going to be able to make payroll or pay our bills. Welcome to the Grove. <laughs> like, oh, that's great. That's great. And that's not how things are supposed to go, right? Especially not if you're doing, like, big things, like being a pastor or being a missionary or doing something like that. But the reality of it is that's just not the way life works. And uh, one of the things we're going to look at, I mean, through, through, as we're looking at this particular passage in the book of Acts, because up until this point... Everything is pretty much going really well for them. And so in Acts 1.8, God, you know, Jesus kind of sets the table here for them about what he's wanting them to do. 
Acts 1.8. He says, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is what he tells them. Like, this is what's going to happen. You're gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to upon you. You're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witness in all these different places. And in that, you think, man, there's nothing but good news there. Nothing bad. There's nothing bad happening there. In fact, best I can figure, Jesus is making two promises to them. You're going to have overwhelming power that comes from God himself, and you're going to get uh, world travel. Right? Who would sign up for that right now? Here's what God's going to do for you. He's going to give you uh, unlimited power from God's presence inside you, and you get to travel the world. Sign me up. I'm in. I'm in. And you think, okay, well, this this, this is nothing but good news. And up until this point, again, it had. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they begin to speak in other languages. And because of that, they draw this crowd and are able to talk and minister to people they wouldn't normally. Peter gives this awesome sermon and their, their, their group that was just a few dozen people becomes over 3,000 um, overnight. And it talks about how they were having favor with all the people because of the way they loved each other well and took care of each other. And it says that God's just growing them every, every day. And they're, they're getting more bold in their faith, and they go out and preach. And the two of them, Peter and John, they kind of got arrested. But even that, even that kind of looked a little bad for a little while, but it kind of gave them this opportunity to speak to the, to the, to the Jewish leaders and that was really cool, and the, and the disciples were praying, and they got released, and it was awesome, and everything's good. And now as this thing's growing, it's like 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, thousands of people, they start to have some logistical problems. We talked about this last week. Man, we got so many people here, we can't even manage how to, how, to, how to distribute all the food to all the people. Well, let's pray, and God will raise up this new leadership team to kind of oversee that, and that's awesome. It's just like everything's great. And then things suddenly turn. One of these men who was kind of designated to kind of help oversee the distribution of food to the widows, a guy named Stephen, he's described as being a man of of great wisdom and God's doing all these great miracles through him. He's teaching and having all this influence. And it's starting to really bother the, the Jewish religious leaders who are really kind of opposed to this Jesus movement that's building. So they decide to start some rumors about him so that they can arrest him, which they do. And they, and they bring him in there, and when he's there, he makes this defense for himself, but it's really more, less of a defense, and more of just this overwhelming, powerful sermon, kind of cover to cover through the Bible, about what God's doing and how Jesus fits into that, and it was awesome. But rather than really having any spiritual impact on the, the religious council that he's talking to, it angers them. I mean, it just overwhelms them with anger, to where they make a decision right there that they are going to stone him to death. And so they kill Stephen right then and there. And something happens in that moment, it kind of emboldens them. Up until this point, they've been kind of taking a relatively passive approach to this. They've been not liking it, but not doing anything. But now all of a sudden, it's like something happened and something clicked. And they get this courage, may not be the best word. I mean, this, this desire is like, we're going to do something about this. And, and they kill Stephen. And that leads us to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, which is going to be part of the passage we look at today, where it describes what happens next <clears throat> after the death of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. 
But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So what happens is, is they say, hey, we're going to take out Stephen. Let's just take out some more of them. And this persecution just began to break out everywhere. And it specifically refers to this guy named Saul, who's about to become a main character in the book of Acts and is known now as the Apostle Paul, who wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. But at this point, in our intro into him and who he is, he is going from house to house. He is, he is arresting people and putting them in prison for their following Jesus. And it says a persecution is breaking out all over Jerusalem. If we go back to Acts 1.8, what Jesus says, okay, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And up until this point, everything that's happened has only happened in Jerusalem. And now it says they're scattered. Where are they scattered? They're now scattered in Judea and Samaria. So we're starting to see what Acts 1.8 would say was going to happen. It's going to happen. But rather than, as they're being scattered throughout all these places, rather than getting really frustrated or sad or overwhelmed or anything, it says that everywhere they went, they continued to preach. And then Philip, he's down in Samaria. And this really awesome thing's happened. And there's joy in the city. It's, it's great that even though they're being persecuted... Um, it seems that at least several of them have relatively good attitudes about it. And um, what, what I think it's important, and I think this is important for us, is we try to think about if I'm going to live a life where I'm going to make a decision, I'm going to follow God, whatever. I'm going to be who God's called me to be, whatever. I'm going to do, if God says do it, I'm going to do it. If that is who I'm going to be, I think how we think about uh, trials and struggles like what the, the church is going through here, how we think about that is going to have to change. And so we'll just, I'll just say it this way. Um, this is our, kind of our first big idea today is that, is that we need to uh, reimagine what hard times mean. Because I think we have a very limited idea about what it means. Like I'm trying to do the right thing and something bad happens. We have a very narrow idea about what that means. I think very often what we just think exclusively what that means God is, God is mad at me. Something is wrong. This is, this is bad. Bad things happen to me. That means just it's bad. And, and I know even in saying that, that sounds like stupid what you just said. Like, yeah, it's a bad things happen. Bad things are bad. Things are bad. Like, or by definition of bad? Like what? Like what? Like, but we just, we allow everything to overwhelm us. And even though this bad thing that's happening to them really is, I mean, some of them, some of the, some people are dying. They're going to jail just for simply living out their faith. And it would seem that their attitude about this is not to complain about it, not to fuss at God, not to shake their fist at Him or get angry or get frustrated. At least the people that, that are being highlighted here, they had a completely different idea. They viewed it not as punishment, but as an opportunity. It, it was, this was an opportunity. God told us He wanted to go to, out to Judea and to Samaria. And now look, here we are. We should do the thing that God said He was, that said he was going to do. What a, what a great opportunity we have. 
Philip finds himself in Samaria. He's like, man, there's, there's sick people here that we can heal and people who are demon-possessed, and we can help them. And they need to know about Jesus. And it says, now there's joy here. And, and rather than allowing themselves to get overwhelmed and despondent, they chose to see it as an opportunity. Now, there are a lot of different reasons <coughs> why a Christian who is faithfully following God can end up in some trouble and some bad things happen to them. And again, I think it's important for us to have more categories. Sometimes, I don't want to say, I want to say, like sometimes it is the thing that you think it is. Sometimes it is you. Sometimes it is because of sin. And the Bible's uh, got those stories in it. Somebody does something bad, and then something bad happens to them. And these are the self-inflicted wounds, right? And, and, but it, and we need to understand that. Like, sometimes I do something bad, and it has a bad result, right? That, just, that makes sense, right? That's, that doesn't say anything about God's character. It's like, it's like I shoot myself in the foot, and then I get mad at God that the gun exists. Like, you, you did this to you. And sometimes that's true. And it is actually a reflection of a good God that He brings some consequences to the bad things that we do so that we'll get right. Sometimes the bad things happen just because we live in a broken world. You're a broken person in a broken world surrounded by broken people. And broken people in broken worlds have brokenish things happen to them. And it's just, it's just, it's just where we happen to be. Sometimes it's God opening an opportunity. And how, how amazing would that be? Like in this instance, something happens to me that I don't like, and my response is, I wonder what God is wanting me to do with this. There is a, there is a clear signal here from God. This is an opportunity for me to take this hurt that is happening to me and is going to open me up to an opportunity. Maybe it's going to give me an opportunity to meet some new people. Maybe it's going to give me an opportunity to take the hurt that I'm going through and better understand and love and serve people who have gone through similar types of hurt. There's any number of things that it could be. And we just have to make sure that we don't have an, oppor- we don't have an attitude that says, things aren't going well for me, Therefore, God's bad, life's bad, I'm bad, I hate everything. And you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not like that. Okay, well, then maybe you're not like that, and I'll tell you how bad I am, and then you can judge me. So, like, as I've alluded to, um, the, we've got that house that we owned in Cabot that, that we used to live in. It's on the market, and, and, and it's just it's, 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 it's financially challenging. We're doing okay, but it's financially challenging. And then um, Monday, Monday, Tuesday night this week, um, our, our washing machine that's only three years old and is this high-end brand, I mean, it just, just, just stops. It starts flashing these little weird error codes, and it says, there's, oh, there's something wrong with the computer in there. You need to reboot it. I'm like, okay, great. So you unplug it, and you wait a certain amount of time. You plug it back in. Everything's going to be fine. Unplug, plug it back in. Guess what happened? I plugged it back in. Nothing. Four days, five, six days later, and still just nothing. You look it up, oh, that part to replace, that's only $350. And so then, 
your pastor, to whom you have entrusted a certain portion of your uh, spiritual direction and life, begins to go on this rant in the, on the couch to, 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 to his wife about how, what is God even doing anyway? I, I, why, why is he always doing stuff like that? He knows, doesn't he? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know that things are already a little bit difficult? And now you're just going to, now you're just, like, again, this was it. And now he's just going to break our washing machine. That's what I said. And she's looking at me like, oh, no. And I, she's, she's starting to get nervous because she's seen this happen to me before in years past where you just kind of get into this thing where every little inconvenience that happens in your life is some sort of thing against God and there's something wrong and life's terrible and I'm terrible and God doesn't care. And you kind of get up into these, this, this, these holes when really... It's an opportunity. And really, anything bad that happens to me really is an opportunity. Because then I can just wait a few days and I can tell you about it and then I get like points for it, right? Right? So then it's like, it's like, like well, now if you've ever had that thought, you know, it's like, so like, God's like, hey man, it's, it's sermon material. You should be thanking me anytime I let something bad happen to you. I'm like, well, this isn't. But on a more serious level, that is how it works. Every trial that we go through is an opportunity for you to bless somebody. Every time. What if we had those kinds of eyes? What if we had those kinds of eyes? And then Philip, this guy, I mean, he has this great opportunity here. And then he has this incredible opportunity where God says, Hey, I want you to go to this city, to this, to this road south of the city. He goes out there, and there's a chariot. He's like, I want you to catch up with that chariot. And then what the Bible doesn't describe, but I believe to be like Holy Spirit superpowers. He runs, like super runs, and catches up with the chariot. And now he's talking to this Ethiopian dude who's reading this scroll from Isaiah that's talking about Jesus, but he doesn't know. And he's trying to like, and Phil's like, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, how can I? Like, I don't even know who this is talking about. He tells him about Jesus. This, this Ethiopian guy who kind of works for the royal family is now giving his life fully to Jesus. And they see a body of water. He says, stop the chariot. You should totally baptize me right now. So they get out, Philip baptizes him, and that's cool. And then it says the Holy Spirit kind of Philip out of there, which that's really cool for the Ethiopian. Ethiopian. Like, did I just, did a ghost just tell me about Jesus? Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And now we've got our first missionary in Ethiopia. And then, and then he just pops Philip over to this other complete part of the country where it's like, now, now go over here. And that's really cool for Philip. And you know what would have ruined all of that? can't believe they're arresting Christians in Jerusalem now. This stinks, and I hate this. I thought God said he was going to do cool stuff, but now we're sitting here, i got to be someplace I don't, I don't want to be, and he's doing it. The... And then he would have had to go to somebody else. He was going to send somebody to that Ethiopian dude. And because Philip viewed this change as an opportunity, it was him. Which kind of leads into this next idea not only do we need to reimagine what hard times mean, we need to understand this, that God will accomplish His purpose. He was going to send that missionary to Ethiopia. He was going to get this guy to understand. He was going to send him, and he needed somebody to go find. He was going to find somebody. He was able to use Philip. If God's got something that He's trying to do, He's going to do it. If we go back to Acts 1.8, what Acts 1.8 says it says, and you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Rhetorical slash trick question. What is the command in that verse? There isn't one. There is no, okay, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and I want you to do this. Will you please do this? I command you to do this. There is no command in that verse at all. It's two promises. I promise you two things. One, the Holy Spirit will come on you. Two, you will be my witnesses in all these places. I promise you that. And up until until this point, everything that they had done had been in Jerusalem. But God had made a promise to them. I promised you that you were going to be my witnesses in all of these places. You seem a little stuck. And so, I believe in part, a persecution broke out to unstick them. And now they are being, and I think again, it's very intentional here, the way Luke describes it, he's writing it, and they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, exactly where Jesus said that they were supposed to go. And up until that point, they had not gone. And so, God had made them a promise. You're going to be my witnesses here. Um... They weren't doing it. And let's just say that he was, I would love to say gently prodding them, but that's true except for gentle. He was prodding them. You've got to get out of your comfort zone and do the thing that I told you to do. And so again, I think that's a very another important category for us as we think about kind of the things that we're going through. Like maybe God is trying to steer me to go a particular direction that I am hesitant to go on my own. And I would ask you, is this a good thing for you to start thinking about? Is there something that you know that God has called you to do? Is there something that God has called you to be and you know that it's true? You know God wants this for me and for whatever reason I'm here stuck. Or I'm not stuck, really I'm drifting. Maybe I'm not stuck, maybe I'm not drifting. Maybe I'm full speed running over here. And you know that this is what God wants you. And He's just going to keep steering you back. Pop, pop, pop. Until you end up going this direction. Because God will do in you what He set out to do. He will. And He is going to keep steering you and guiding you, leading you, prodding you, overwhelming you until you steer and end up the direction. Because He's going to do the thing that He said He was going to do. And again, that's not the kind of thing that we should get upset with God about. God, even though you've given up, God has not given up. Because God looks at each and every one of you, and what He sees in each and every one of you is a world changer. Someone who through your life He is going to change the world. He's going to bring hope and life to a person or a group of people who do not have that. He's going to do that through you. And He believes in you and He believes in your calling. You are a unique creation of Him with certain gifts and passions and talents and desires and life story and history and background and potential. And you've got all of this and He's got a specific plan for you. And even if you have decided 
it can't be me. It's got to be somebody else. This can't be true. This is not me. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too overwhelmed. This is too much. Whatever it is that you might think, God has not given up on you fulfilling the potential to be the world changer that God has created you to be. And sometimes that means He's going to have to adjust you and we should thank Him for that. But the reality of it is this. If that's true, if it's true that God is going to accomplish His purposes that He has for you, if that's true, here would be my final suggestion to you. Let's voluntarily join Him. Let's make a decision right now. I'm going to readjust my attitude about all of this. And I am going to voluntarily agree, God, yes, I, w- I will do it. Whatever the it is, I will do it. They were called to be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other most parts of the earth, right? To the very ends. Some of them were called to be in different places. Some of them were called and they were ultimately in all of the places. But each one of them had a role to play. And they were going to do it. And God made sure it happened. And the same for you. God has something for you. God has a way that He wants to use you to bless the people here that are a part of this church. God has a way that He wants to use you to bless this community out there who is in, that is in desperate need of hope and life. God wants to use you to make a difference at the very edges of the world. That is what God, that is your Jerusalem, your Judea and Samaria and, your other, and to the ends of the earth. God wants to do that in you. And you have to believe that. And you have to pursue that, that you believe that my financial and my personal resources, God wants to use them to impact this world. And I had a couple of really cool opportunities this week to just witness a little of that. Had the opportunity yesterday. Yesterday was Dad's Day at my, my daughter's sorority, and we were at the U of A for a while. And then afterwards, it, just, it was also the day that Art in the Park, a ministry that I uh, referenced last week, was going on. And we were, just, we were on that side of town, and we got the opportunity to just kind of witness it. Uh, Heidi and my youngest daughter, Layla, and I. And it was awesome for people. It was a great ministry for people who find themselves currently homeless. And um, it's a place of safety. And peace, they get to do art together, and they kind of get to have this community. The people that are serving in this ministry are just loving them unconditionally, feeding them. It was just great. I wish we could have been there a little bit longer. We had a seven-year-old that was just, she was, she'd, she'd already had enough adventure for the day. We're falling apart a little bit. But anyway, the, the bit that we got to see, was it, was it was amazing to watch God use people to impact the most vulnerable people in our community. It was incredible. And I also had an opportunity this week. I was... Um, FaceTiming with a guy who is from our church, a name you may not know, Brandon Spiller, graduated from the U of A about four years ago and has been overseas for the last few years, just serving God very faithfully. And I want to describe it. I don't mean this as an insult at all. I mean this as an encouragement to you. This dude, he's just regular. He's as regular as regular. I say he's been in Asia for four years as a missionary, and you think, like, superstar, some sort of, like, like super spiritual. This is, just a, this is just a dude. I like him. He's, but I like him in part because he's just a dude. And he's just, we're just talking. He's like, yeah, the, our team leader that we've had for the last few years, 
decided they were going to go home. And so now I'm the team leader. And so I'm trying to figure out what kind of what that means and what I need to do. Just very matter of fact, just like, well, this challenge kind of overwhelmed us. And I don't know what we're, so now we're going to do this. And God's kind of got this new opportunity for me to lead this team at 26 years old. And I got to encourage him, kind of talk to him, give him some advice. We're going to set up some times to talk some more. And here's this guy, man, he's laying down his life overseas. And just for a minute, I got, I got to help. And I'm telling you, there are opportunities like that in front of you all the time. Opportunities to make a difference here in our church. Just Even just loving on the kids in Grove Kids or welcoming people, encouraging people. You've got an opportunity here to make a difference and impact brand new people who are a little bit nervous about coming to church. You walk out that door, you go live life, and there's just need everywhere. And you have to work a little bit harder maybe to find a way to impact to the edges of the earth. But they're out there and we would gladly help you. Because here again is the thing that we believe. We believe that God wants to use you to change the world. And here's the commitment that we make. Here's our we will. We'll end it with this, with our we will statement of the week. I believe, you believe, let's believe that God wants to use each and every one of us and all of us collectively to change the world. And we will be relentless in pursuing that. I will, never, I will not be too tired. I will not be too overwhelmed. I will not be too busy. I will not feel too inadequate. There is nothing about me that I will decide is true that will keep me, that will keep us from relentlessly pursuing this incredible future that God has for us. It won't be perfect, it won't be smooth, but it will be overwhelmingly full of meaning and life when you are pursuing and becoming exactly the man or woman that God has uniquely designed you to be. And we will together relentlessly pursue that. That's one of the reasons why we come together on Sunday morning, because that's a little bit overwhelming, Let's get together every week and encourage each other in that. Love on each other a little bit. Hey, you're doing a great job. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. Let's go do this awesome thing that God has called us to. So as always, we have an opportunity to respond. I encourage you to just ask two questions. God, what is that thing that you want from me? Some of you know it, and he's just going to nudge you again. You know, that's what he's going to say. So you know, and you'd be like, I, I know. Some of you may not know. And I'm telling you, God's really excited about the possibility of you asking him. So God, what is the thing? And what needs to happen so that I can overcome all of these reasons that I have for not becoming that? Let's pray that for ourselves. Let's pray that for each other. As always, prayer team in the back would love to pray with you if you need that. Prayer candles, communion, cross, opportunity to give, lots of ways to respond. But let's ask God, God, how do you want to use me and how can I overcome all the reasons I'm giving for why I can't? Let's pray. (coughs) God, I... I really am. I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for this life that you've given me and 
my family, as we have just done a lot of different things. Try to be faithful to you. And God, we've just seen blessing and obstacle and frustration and joy. God, I thank you for this path that you have us on. And God, my prayer is for the hundreds of people here in this room right now. God, help them find that path. Help them relentlessly find it, relentlessly pursue it, relentlessly stay on it. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage to help one another, to believe you, and that God, that collectively you would use us to change the world. And God, as always, we're thankful for your Son who makes all this possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.